Are you ready to stop stress, anxiety, and low self-esteem from ruining your life? Join award-winning author and breakthrough expert Dr. Friedman Schaub for Empowerment Radio as he addresses some of the most difficult challenges in our day-to-day lives. Find out how you can use the power of your mind to overcome self-sabotaging patterns and build a solid foundation of confidence and self-respect. Learn cutting-edge tools to switch out of survival mode and approach every day with greater ease, joy, and purpose. Here is your host on Empowerment Radio, Dr. Friedman Schaub. Welcome to Empowerment Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman. As always on Empowerment Radio, I love to tackle the challenges in our lives, those obstacles that seem to be in the way to greater fulfillment, success, and joy. And what bigger obstacles are there than fear? Well, today I want to talk about two specific fears. One is the fear of fear itself, and the other one is the fear of aging, that fear of losing your beauty, your youth, your vitality, your health, your relevance. Both fears can make you feel trapped overpowered and may even lead to depression. But what if you could actually have joy from fear? And what if you could age joyfully? Well, these are exactly the book titles of my very special guest today, Dr. Carla Manley, who published this year's these so relevant books on fear and on aging. So today we're going to talk about how you can transform your fears into greater joy. Dr. Carla, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, I wanted to ask you about you because, you know, you have uh, these double whammies of books coming out or they came just out and they were about fear and also fear in in relationship to aging. And both then also have the word joy in it, which I think is just a a beautiful juxtaposition. But tell us a little bit about you. Have you been struggling with fear? Had you a journey that led you from, from fear to joy? Absolutely. I was raised, I'm the ninth child in a family of 10, raised back East and Um, very well-intentioned parents, a very religious environment. And in my era, children, especially if you were a girl, you were to be seen and not heard. And so I did my very best to be an accommodating young lady and do as I was told. And um, I tested rather high on IQ tests. So when I expressed a desire to be a psychologist or a teacher, and I really wanted to be a psychologist, I was told, no, 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 you know, you're, you're one of the really smart ones, you should be an attorney. And so it was laid out for me that I, you know, should be an attorney. And so I went through my path, went to college, and when I left college and went to a top-notch law school, and my body knew much more than I did that this was not what I was going to do, and it rebelled, and I was actually um, almost died from anorexia nervosa, Mm. and um, left law school and began to listen to my body a little bit more, enrolled in a master's program to um, have my degree in counseling, 
so I could do be a therapist or and in my my um, travels I ultimately chose the route of being a school counselor because I have a love of children and um, teaching and helping children and so um, along the way I married and um, then had two children and realized uh-oh if I really want to do right by these children and also do right now, I was getting this message from my family, we need you, you know, to be doing other things. And so to be able to do what I needed to do, I was in a field of investment that I'm not a money motivated person. And so even though I'm good at business, I um, was not at all in an area that gave me any joy. It just doesn't just doesn't give me joy. And so I provided for my husband and my children for a very long time. And I'm very good at that. And then one day woke up and said, I am miserable. I am just <laughs> miserable. And I've been putting on a really great show for everybody else. But I am miserable. And I also realized one of the biggest things that, that came to me was here I was telling my children when you grow up because now they're these beautiful young boys and i'm trying to be an excellent role model and i realized that i was telling them when you grow up follow your dreams follow your passions do it don't follow money follow what is right for you um, because i knew many people who had lots of money and were very unhappy some of the most unhappy people i've ever met and so um, i realized wait a minute i'm not doing that I'm being the provider, but here I'm, you know, teaching them something, but I'm not living it. So I spoke with my then husband and said, you know, honey, I have done so much for you and for everyone else. It's now time for me to live my dream. And he knew what my dream was. He says, no, 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 you have enough education. And that was the beginning of the end of the marriage. And so even though it was very difficult and oh, challenging, my. I left the marriage and um, realized in the midst of that how wise it was to have done that for my children, for me. And um, so I went back, I was working full time, went to doctoral school and did that evening nights weekend, did my internship with a juvenile probation in the East, started that in the evening because I was still, you know, income producing. And ultimately, slowly and steadily created the life I have now, which is doing what I've always wanted to do. And it's not easy work. It's, you know, it's hard work. It's challenging work, but I love it. It is my passion. And so that is where Joy from Fear, my first book, came from. My dissertation, I wanted to, in doctoral school, I wanted to understand what it was that had held me back. And I wanted to, and when I realized it was fear, I thought, no, I'm so strong and tough. It can't be fear. So I decided to investigate fear and I created a qualitative and quantitative questionnaire, essentially did thousands of surveys through those two and realized I wasn't alone and that I had a message to offer other people because I wanted to use my journey to help people not do what I did, or if they were doing what I did to be able to find a way out of it sooner. And as luck would have it during my dissertation, one of my mentors was Thomas Moore. And he put me through my paces, he really did. And I learned and developed and evolved so much. So Joy From Fear has gone through several iterations until it left a sort of academic feel to be a very hard work, you know, hard work feel which is what it is and it's a guide so that's where joy from fear came from now wonderful story reminds me also a little bit of mine where i was told i had to become a, a physician because that's the tradition of the family and then i also was miserable 
And uh, I wasn't married at that time when I decided to leave that path of uh, cardiology, which I was in, and then started to do what I'm doing now, which is also helping people to overcome their fears and, and their struggles. But I can imagine that you, with your determination to follow that what felt right, also were facing a lot of fear. And, uh, you know, leaving your marriage and uh, starting again, going back to school, or was the moment when you made the decision, the fear gone? No, no. I, and that's why I really understand my clients, because the fear, the fear doesn't leave. It might lessen. You might learn to not be afraid of it. But especially when you have, you know, two young boys depending upon you and a house payment and all of that, you know, fear is a very real thing. But what I learned was energetically to notice the fear and not feed it. And that's where I came up with the terms destructive fear and constructive fear. Destructive fear is that voice that says, uh-oh, things aren't going to work out. Things aren't, no, 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 this is too big of a risk. You better do what, what everyone says you should do. Then the voice of constructive fear says, it's not to me about manifesting, right? Some people think manifesting means I'll dream about it and it will happen. To me, it's about dream about it, visualize it, and then do the work. Do the work to make your dream come true. Do the work. And so to me, that is the voice of constructive fear, that very wise, powerful, sincere, gentle, and often very quiet voice. And that's where it gets pretty tough because I believe that destructive fear, its voice is very loud, often very angry and pushy. And the voice of constructive fear is, is at first often almost imperceptible. So that's, uh, and then where the transformational fear part comes in is that when we do the work, if we have faith and perseverance and determination, then our life transforms. And then we realize that all along fear has been our friend, that fear is our friend. I completely agree with this notion that the fear is friend. That's interesting that you see the constructive fear as that wise voice inside of you, because I'm wondering, that doesn't sound very fear provoking in itself. It sounds more like a little bit a part of you that nudges you forward to do the right thing to get your, so why do you associate that with fear? Did that voice make you feel afraid? What I, the way I like to look at it is that we've made fear the bad guy. Right. I like to see as fear as, as Jamma's faced, two-faced, right? Mm -hmm. And on this side is the bully that crowds the sidewalk and says, run, stay stuck, you know, cower, hide, be mean, be aggressive. That's all fear. If we slow it down, there is another side of fear that is actually helpful. That is why fear has a friendly side. We just, that's why I call it constructive side. Just like anything, the light, the shadow, the yin, the yang, I believe fear is the same. That we have this side that we're used to. We're not, I'm not talking about rational fear. Fear of a snarling dog right, or fear right. of a rapist. I'm talking about irrational fear. So I like to look at it as the two-sided figure. That we, if we slow it down, and what's interesting is it works. When I am working with a group or with an individual, right? And I teach this method, 
then people realize, oh, all I have to do is slow it down and look at the other side, listen. And then when we listen, then we start hearing the opposite side of fear. It is a novel way of seeing fear. It is. Right. Right. And then realizing that when we can contain it and turn it around, that then we can do something with it. We don't have to overcome it. We don't have to run from it. We do have to learn to see it. I love that. That's wonderful. And I do, I mean, I think destructive sounds as if the fear would want to harm you, but maybe it's more our reaction to the fear that actually are creating the harm. You know, when I, see fear as something that ultimately just, you know, for example, the fear that told me, don't leave medicine. You're going to make a big mistake. Everyone going to, you know, either think you're crazy, your parents going to be disappointed with you. And uh, that was a protection. That was simply saying, don't break the mold. Don't, you know, uh, disappoint or measure up to expectations. But that's, I mean, it's becoming destructive when you're responding to it and you're saying okay you're right but the intention is simply to be okay to be safe because that fear part still thinks you know you're better off doing exactly what you're told to do like a good child that i always was a good boy that always did what he wanted to do <laughs> what he was told to do and all of a sudden doing what you actually want to do and not what others want you to do that was scary so i understand that fear also is a part that has more the emphasis on protection and not so much the emphasis on fulfillment or on thriving and these kind of things. Absolutely. And I love your story because either way you ended up doing heart work. Right. And in fact, you're doing work of the heart now that may prevent cardi cardiovascular disease. That was the idea in the first place. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm really with you on that. You're doing the preventative work of making sure, because I actually see that in, in that I believe that, that people with hardened hearts, cold hearts, you know, where they've learned to be hard and aggressive and brittle, their hearts sometimes are filled with disease. Because <laughs> Absolutely. That mind-body yeah. connection is very powerful. Well, when we come back, we talk about also the mind-body connection when it comes to another big fear topic that so many people are struggling with, which is the fear of aging. So mm -hmm. that was your second book that just came out. So we'll talk more about this after the break. in a roundabout of dysfunction? Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy Obear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy Obear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. 
Knowledge Book Radio with Marge Potasik has a special gift for everyone out there. To receive three chapters of the Knowledge Book as a special gift, send your email to mmjp99 at gmail.com. That's Amazon Mary, Amazon Mary, JP99 at gmail.com now to receive this fabulous, fabulous gift of the Knowledge Book. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. I can see the sun behind me. That's actually very nice. It gives me a little halo, <laughs> but I cannot prevent it. So we just have to live with me having a little halo right now. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm here with Dr. Carla Manley, and she is the author of two fabulous books, The Joy from Fear and Joyful Aging, or Aging Joyfully. And so before the break, I just talked about that there is such a fear that societal in our especially more western society kind of running rampant that we cannot face our aging process gracefully peacefully that it really is associated with so much fear and and where do you feel that it is coming from why is it now even more uh, on the top of the list of reasons to be afraid than maybe 50 years ago I think there are so many factors that come into play, one of which is that we're in a very disposable culture, very disposable world, where people are now disposable, relationships are now disposable, whereas in prior generations, we really valued people and we valued older age and not just because the older adults were wise and could care for children, you know, but also because we valued life. We mm. simply valued life. And then now we have families really disenfranchised where you don't often have more than one generation in a home. And so the elders are seen as a burden, as something that's taken up healthcare resources and time and effort. And then I think another piece of that is that there was a time when, at least when I was growing up, we really honored parents, really honored children and parents. And so as my parents aged, it was my joy to care for them. It was, especially my mother, I mean, caring for her and caring for others was a joy to me. Mm. And now we're in a world where people are not um, honoring humanity that way. We aren't really honoring the care of children, right? We don't, we don't value a stay-at-home mother. I'm not saying, or a stay-at-home father for that matter. I'm not, you know, making it a gender or a sex issue. Um, but I think that when we stop valuing people, then we also stop valuing the different phases of life. I think another component is I was um, last year I was in Africa and I really was talking with one man who I loved what he had to say. He said, we live often with multi-generations in a home. And he says, it's our social insurance. <laughs> it is social right. insurance. And he was a very intelligent man. And I remember, you know, I really clung to that and thought it is so true because there are certain segments, you know, certain um, 
ethnic groups in my area where they still really value family. And there are several generations in a home and you can see that they value the elders. I don't believe um, that there are many cultures who still value elders. Also, when you go back to more ancient times, they really, Greek mythology, where they had you know, the child, the maiden, the mother, the crone, yeah. right? And they valued the crone. And interestingly, and I love the word crone, I've come to love it through knowing about mythology and fairy tales and the wisdom. Interestingly, with my publisher, we didn't have too many issues on the publication. One was that they wanted me to remove the word crone from the book. Hmm. They didn't think people would understand it. So we had to shift it to something like the elder wise woman or something that people could understand. And so I believe that when we don't allow for ancient wisdom to stay with us through true fairy tales, through true honoring of elders, that we're missing so much. So I think that's another component. Yeah. Well, and this, I think this is very important to what you just said about the value is now I also, you know, see with compassion that this shift in values is also a shift into being so much more in survival mode, because I think the whole idea of the mother needs to also make some money, the rising costs of everything, including healthcare, and also these ideas of, you know, what does it mean to be successful, which is so much more focused now on you know, what you can buy and how your car and your house look like. And, and I think that's, that's unfortunately something that we just become more and more bombarded with. And in some ways you could even call it manipulated by. So it's not a joy based uh, change. I think it's a fear based change to make us feel like we have to do more. We have to have more. We have to produce more. This is what success is. And maybe that living in survival mode also not only shifts our values, but also makes us so feel busy and overburdened that an elder person feels like an additional burden that we just cannot really handle. And our hearts are already like kind of, you know, maybe guarded because we are so much in that fear place or in that not good enough place that opening the heart to someone who is in need is, you know, something that's a little bit difficult at least that's what i see often in my clients that there is such a you know on paper we all are doing well but when it really comes to how we do feel about our life and the value of our life it's uh, unfortunately like you said often very disposable and uh, that's one of those things that has to shift yeah i agree with you 100 percent i think my most balanced clients right? And the most balanced people I know are the ones who really work on their soul work, right? right? And for those who are focused or hyper-focused on what I can own, what I can accomplish, and how good I am, look at me, right? Those are the ones that have the emptiest souls. And those are the ones that are the most depressed and often, very sadly, the most out of touch with their depression, because it manifests in anger, addiction, over, and we have our society that has become so accustomed to addiction that about the only addiction we can see is somebody who overeats. So they carry a lot of shame, right? But the other addictions, the people who are addicted to 
disposing of relationships, right? The people who are addicted to spending, to working, to adrenaline sports, right? All of those addictions, they are something that our society looks at and says, oh, you're doing just fine. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> good for you. Where in fact, they are amongst the most miserable. Not that people who do those things are necessarily miserable, but often they're not slowing down to pray or meditate and everything they're doing, and that's what I look for, right? Is what you're doing causing you to run from you, right? right? What, do you have self-reflective time? Are you aware of who you are? Do you have good emotional regulation? Do you work on your relationship with yourself and with others? Not just does it look good. And that's the part that I think is, the, is really run on fear, is the part where people want to look good on the outside, but they're decaying on the inside. And that's a huge price to pay because that internal decay causes anxiety, depression, and all of the disease that ends up in a medical office. Not all of it, but a huge part of it. Yes, definitely. But this is something that, of course, and also feeds into the fear of aging. If we identifying ourselves with looking good and aging takes away that looking youthful and vibrant, that we really want to be seen as, then that fear of aging becomes, of course, you know, as we are entering 45 or so, just really something we are struggling with. But before we go to the older people like us, I mean, we are already over 30, so we are definitely into that. Uh, why is it, what do you think? I mean, it's interesting. I have um, several videos about the fear and aging of aging on my YouTube channel. And the most comments I get on those videos are from people that are between 12 and 20 years old that are already afraid of aging. And they're saying, I'm already scared that I will be, you know, old one day and I will not be able to do what I want one day and I will not look good anymore one day. So why is it that so early on that fear of aging already starts? I think it is ties back to what I was saying earlier. When we see that a segment of a population is warehoused, we don't want to be warehoused. As a child, we know we don't want to be abandoned and we are abandoning our older people. We are abandoning them. And I think children see that. They mm. feel that, they know that. You know, 20, 30 years ago, grandma and grandpa would have been in the house and it would have been part of life or they would have been down the street. So I think that's a big part of it. I think the other piece, and I'm glad you, you're, you're going that early because in my practice, I don't work with, with little ones like any longer. I did on probation, but not any longer. And I will have a 25-year-old look at me and say, I'm old, I'm not relevant anymore. I haven't achieved everything I want to achieve. One was telling me yesterday, I'm 25 and I am not self-sufficient yet. And I'm thinking, okay, you live in one of the highest, you know, rental market areas in the world. <laughs> You're not being paid much. You're a hard worker. So anyway, it starts with that, as you said, that we're in an environment that is very expensive to make ends meet. Then social media, puts forth this idea that we must look perfect, 
and no matter what age we are. And so 11 year olds are airbrushing their pictures or filtering their pictures on their phone before posting them. So these messages, 25 year olds are getting Botox treatment so they don't form wrinkles, right? You look at people um, who are in their 30s and they're having mommy tuck surgeries and baby tuck surgeries and all of these things to hide the fact that they actually bore children as though that's something to be ashamed of. And then you keep moving through life and we are creating a world where the ideal female is, and I also work with healing people who are addicted to porn. And that is what I see is these poor souls are getting addicted to images mm -hmm. of 17 and 18 year olds in some cases, some cases they like grandmothers, right? So, you know, it's all over the place. But the idea is that there's this sense that, you know, around 17 and 18, that's the ideal age. Whereas for me, I look at energy. And I've worked with 19-year-olds who look 100 in their souls. They feel 100 in their souls. And I, in fact, I had one in my office yesterday, a woman in her late 60s who has the energy of a five-year-old, right? That's true. And so, yeah. and she, and so to me, and you'll notice in joy, in aging joyfully, I do not, I pray, it's not in the book anywhere, use the word, I want you to look youthful. I mm. want you to be youthful. I want readers, I want listeners to learn to radiate joy. That is youth. That is my belief, that when we radiate joy, and my concept of joy, I'll share it with you in just a second because I love it, but I believe that when we radiate joy and wake up in joy, doesn't mean our day is easy. It doesn't mean we don't have challenges at work or in relationship, but when we wake up with joy, face our challenges, not avoid them, face them, talk about them, handle them, and then move through our day with an attitude of, self-forgiveness, forgiveness for others, compassion, goodwill, donate some time every week, which I always try and do. I encourage my clients to do that. How can we not live in joy and radiate a, a beauty that has nothing to do with chronological years? years? Mm. I am That sounds yeah. beautiful. And of course, I can imagine that quite a few listeners are saying, well, easy for her to say, she found her passion. She does, you know, look fabulous and probably has no problems. But what about me? And then, you know, we go and beat the drum of why we have it so much harder to be in joy. But I know from your book that there are fabulous and simple ways to just light the fire of joy every day. And so we will talk more about this after the break. Are you ready to create a life you'll really love? 
then you'll want to tune in to the hit show Life Design Radio from Adversity to Awesome with Susan DiLorenzo. Live each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. No matter where you are in your adversity story, Life Design Radio has got you covered. Get ready to feel inspired, enlightened, and motivated. For more information about working with Susan, visit SusanDiLorenzo.com. talking about joyful aging, which is the opposite of fearful aging. And uh, Dr. Carla just talked about the radiance of joy, not the radiance of usefulness and vibrancy, but the radiance of joy, which is completely without any age limits. We can do this with 100 and with one years old. So now the question is, what is joy in your definition? And how do we get to it? How can we radiate it out? So for me, I believe we are all, this is the image I work with. We are all born with a candle, a little votive candle of joy. We come out, we come into the world and we have this beautiful little votive and it's our light and we radiate light and we love babies because babies radiate this beautiful light. You look at, that's joy. That's palpable, unadulterated joy. Unfortunately, we then put that little votive in the glass container of life. And if we were all raised in perfect situations with perfect parents, which didn't happen to me, there's a lot of challenge and, and difficulty in my background, and I share that when appropriate. But for people who think I have it, you know, easy, it's not always easy. And so we have this beautiful little glass votive, but as life happens. Dad is cruel. Mom ignores us. Brother is horrible to us. Teacher is awful. We go through life and our poor little glass votive gets, the, the, the glass gets very sooty. Uh-oh, our light is dimming. And some of us, self-included, don't have the time or energy or even awareness to wipe off that soot. So we go through life just being the good person, doing what we're supposed to do, continuing to suffer from challenges and possible abuse. And the more abuse we suffer at the hands of others, the more soot comes up. But how do we get our joy back? So now this poor person is suffering from anxiety, chronic stress, depression, health issues. When we learn to slow it down, wipe off the soot, wipe off the soot one bit at a time, which is the work of self-awareness, which is the work, if you can't afford a therapy, it's one of the reasons I wrote Joy From Fear, so that people for a small price and could share a book, could do their journey, could join a women's group or men's group where you work it. I run a low-cost women's group for just these sort of things, not to work on my books, but to work on issues, right? Well, that could be explored through the books, but... Um, so when we become aware that this, vo this, this votive this is our joy, 
This light is our joy and we can access it. Yes, we might have some cleanup work to do. Yes, we might have some self-awareness work to do, but we can do that with a mentor, with friend, with bibliotherapy, traditional psychotherapy, but that's the work. And the more we explore, not blame anyone. It's not about going to your history and blaming. It's about going to your history and figuring out, this is what worked for me. I want to do more of this. This is what didn't work for me that my mom and dad or this person did. I forgive that person, but I don't want to carry that on in my energy. So I will forgive and I will forge a future that's my own. I don't have to be like my dad or my, you know, evil hockey coach or whatever it was, right? I get to be who I want to be. And then we, with vigilance, and that's the piece that's hard for us because we live in a quick fix society. So the idea of doing something where we can't pop a pill or buy it, let me buy happiness, let me click buy now and whatever arrives at the door will make me happy, yes, for 32 seconds. But it's really about the process, which more ancient people knew. They knew the process. They knew that life was about process, not instant gratification. So if we go back to some of the basics and realize we all have joy accessible to us. You don't need, it doesn't need to be expensive. You don't need to be wealthy. You don't even have money at all, right? It is about, yes, joy tends to be more available when we have our basic needs met of food, clothing, and shelter, right? But, you know, once we have that, then it's still about being able to go inside and listen to what brings you joy. Do more of it. I love this image of the flame simply because it really is, we can also use this for our truth. It's always available to us. It's not gone. It's simply something that's out of sight because the container of it may have all these layers that is hiding it, but that flame doesn't get extinguished because of it. And, and like you said, it is one part, the taking away those layers that are blocking the access of the view, but then I think, like you just mentioned at the end, it's also about what feeds the flame, what makes it even brighter, like looking at things that, you know, you appreciate or that make you creatively engaged or that show you, you know, love and uh, compassion or whatever those things are that bring you joy. I think that's uh, something that, again, you know, you will feel young and, and joyful no matter what age you are. And so in your book, you have joy as a big way of, or it's almost like you know, a treasure a hunt that you want to get to. You want to find your joy again. You yeah. want to find that, that birthright of joy again that may have been hidden in your history. But yeah. then there are also wonderful ways, like one of the things that I really appreciated was the power of regret and how we can actually really get also new leverage into how we approach our later years and doing things that you, we may have given up on. Like, you know, your younger clients or some of my clients that say, you know, now I'm 65, so I really have no plans, no goals, nothing that I'm looking forward to. It's basically just waiting at heaven's door until it's opening up. And, and so there is something that about this regret process really uh, 
yeah, inspired me to think more about, and we have to think about this earlier. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, I think that regret, like fear, has another side to it. It has a message. And so we often get stuck with, and I've, I learned this technique actually by working with clients that we often clients will come in and say regret having not done this regret having not done that. And I don't tend to live in regret. So it was sort of, it was a rather foreign concept for me. So I really had to investigate it. And what I realized is that if I had people dive into their regrets and really just get into it, get into the messiness of I regret this, I regret that. And then they could acknowledge that mm -hmm. acknowledge and then also realize the benefits that came out of what they didn't do. So for someone who, for example, didn't have children, maybe they, then they'll look and say, oh, well, actually, now that I look at it, maybe I didn't have human children, but I did have a career that I could have never been that devoted to had I had these children. And now I've started, you know, a, a youth you know, agency or this or that, so that we can find ways to channel that regret. If it indeed is a hole where you just say, oh God, I still really wish I had had children. It's not too late. They don't have to be your biological children. <laughs> there are so many children out there who need attention, who were, I was talking to someone the other day who went to the hospital and held the newborn babies, right? Who are not getting held, right? Because they're, you know, the parents are, absent, so to speak. And so always finding that purpose, and that is one of the fears of aging, right? Is that we don't have purpose. Right. We, I, I hear people talk about decline, yes. physical decline, what your 11 year olds are saying, not being able to do what I want to do and not having a purpose. And so I think if we really use our energy not to worry, because I was taught, and I love this idea, that worry is a form of prayer. Hmm. And that if I am using my energy, I have this theory, I call it the 10 gallon of gas theory, that we all wake up with 10 gallons of gas. Some are high octane, some aren't, right? But what do we want to do with that gas? If I'm spending three gallons worrying, I'm now down to seven gallons. If I spend, you know, another three gallons being angry at people, now I'm down to four gallons. So that if we worry, if we fret and don't take action, so if somebody is feeling as though they don't have purpose, find purpose, volunteer, plant a garden. And it doesn't have, again, it's not really connected to wealth or um, you know, somebody's socioeconomic status. You don't have a lot of money, invite other women over to share a cup of tea, right? And it is about connection, it is about friendship, it is about feeling valuable, creating purpose. All of that brings joy. It also, talking about ways to create more joy, I believe, and this is how I live, right? And it doesn't cost money. I wake up every morning, I'm singing a song, I go to the kitchen, I'm doing my gratitudes. I make a cup of tea. Um, you can make a cup of hot water. I'd be just as happy with a cup of hot water, right? I listen to Louis Armstrong sing It's a Wonderful World. I do what I need to do. I'm meditating as I'm going and I'm being grateful. But we must first be appreciative to be grateful. Mm. And I'm really big on appreciating people 
and being in a place of appreciation. Otherwise, we look around us and we don't see the beauty of everything. We see the peeling paint, not the fact that we have a wall that keeps us safe. And we learn to look for the defects, the wrinkles around the eye, rather than the fact that I have eyes. Well, that's exactly where I feel, you know, your book is such a great help because it shifts the focus. It shifts the focus from the expectations of what should remain forever to being more open to the things that we ignore and just overlook and they can be equally fulfilling and can equally bring us to a place of joy and also a, I think an identity that is switching from being this person who has a career or this young person who is always up for everything to an identity of someone like you said, the crown that is more wise and more appreciative. When we come back, we talk about other important topics about aging, for example, aging in relationships that also can be really challenging in that regard. Wow. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm telling you, I got to pinch myself some days because when each of us gets called to do something that we so not thought was in our real house to do for a purpose that's so much greater than us, we get to show up and shine. If you would like to show up and shine on the Dr. Pat Show as a co-host or sponsor, send us an email to inspire at thedrpatshow.com. Learn and explore fascinating and practical uses of essential oils, how to use them, and how they can enhance your everyday life. The Oil Lounge was founded by three remarkable women with fascinating stories about how essential oils changed their lives. Tina and Laura from The Karmic Path have joined forces to educate the masses in the benefits of young living essential oils. For more information, visit theoillounge.com. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. Aging is joy, and we just don't really see it as such. And we just talked before the break about regrets, and one thing I find about regrets so interesting is, in some ways, it can be like hunger. So we can feel hunger and notice that, well, we haven't eaten for a while and panic, or we can get really excited about what it is what we want to put in a sandwich or get out of the refrigerator. And, and it's just about being a little bit more open and creative. And do you feel that in aging in general, we have to be just more flexible in regards to how we bring more joy, not feeling like, well, what used to bring me joy were the kids. Well, they are gone. What used to bring me joy was running a marathon. Can't do it. What used to bring me joy was my work. I'm retired. Now what? I mean, is there like an openness that we have to somehow reclaim? I 
absolutely believe that that's a huge piece of it because when we're young we're looking forward 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 to what we can do what we can do we and then finally we reach the pinnacle of that which is 21 now you can drink right and then after that people start thinking oh well there's nothing left right and it's this decline and i say absolutely not shift it up right and we can self-included get stuck in saying i used to run all the time you know and my body now says hey you're better to walk and you're better to do yoga you can walk fast but you're you're this is much better for your body and so yes there was an initial sense of loss of oh my body doesn't want to do that anymore it doesn't feel good and so there's a kind of a wake up or when we have to start wearing reading glasses it's like oh darn it right but that's where the choice is we have the choice to say oh I'm angry about not being able to run anymore. Or we can say, thank you for the fact that I can walk. And then when runners pass me, instead of looking going, God, they're able to you know, run and I'm not, I look and I say, oh my God, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> isn't that gorgeous? Uh... And so I think it's about cultivating that and I think it's very important because you said, you know, talking about relationships, I think some people, um, it's the same paradigm in relationships. Some people who are single will look at a couple and say, I hate that, you know, how awful, right? I don't have that. Other people will look and say, isn't that a beautiful couple? I love what they radiate. I love what they are a role model of in the world. Yeah. So I think if we age that way, age in appreciation for what we can do valuing what we can do in the here and now so rather than being the 15 year old who's not appreciating being 15 until he can drink right it's it's the idea of of not doing that in reverse not appreciating where we are for what we can do and what we can contribute which is substantial it may be different but different isn't bad right different may be far better and that's what i am really proud to say to people is i am happier than i have ever been because i'm living my passion i'm helping other people i'm spreading the word about what i find important and it's so for me it's about letting people know that once you hit you know 35 40 45 50 whatever your magic number is it's not some death knell. Death can come to us when we're 10, when we're five. I had a niece die when she was, you know, a year old from a cardiac, you know, a heart issue. And so for me, it's, no, it's, death isn't any closer. Death has always been there. Right. So it's about maximizing our experience on this planet and contributing to the self and to each other in a wise and aware way. But I think in this regard, we do need to watch out also how we talk about ourselves, the inner commentary, which I think is one of those ways that prevent us from actually enjoying that everyday aging process, which we all are a part of. And uh, I see this often with my clients, how critical they become and how they just focus with their magnifying glasses on the wrinkles and uh, 
the sagging skin and they don't really see all the beauty that there is still. And, and in that regard, I would like you to comment on relationships because often one or the other partner may feel not so attractive anymore. So they are withdrawing from their partner or the partner becomes more uh, critical and is not so attracted anymore to the partner because they only hold on to what was and they don't really see anymore what is and what can be. What, what do you recommend for couples that are struggling with aging together? So I think that we're, gosh, in that a woman's a book club. It's a deep topic. Okay. In my women's group last night, one woman shared how when she, she's dating right now, she's 60, starting to date again. And the man, she found the ideal man, but he is not physically what she wants. Interesting, as often happens, a woman across the room, when it was her turn, she said, I want to share this with you. I love my husband. I'm in a very happy marriage. And when I met him, I was not at all attracted to him. But as we dated and slowly explored each other, I fell in love with his spirit and I began to find him attractive in the most compelling way. I think it is the same way with the aging process. That if we fall in love with the person's spirit and focus on what really matters, which is being a person of integrity, kindness, and compassion, because you can be the wealthiest, most beautiful or handsome person in the world. And if you don't have integrity or kindness, that's not attractive at all. At all. It's so true. almost repulsive, right? So if you look at your mate and you're focusing on um, saggy skin or a stretch mark, or I would say, why are you focusing on that? Is this not your beloved? Is this not the person that you have vowed to care for and love? Why are you focusing on something that's just tissue? It's just <laughs> cells. Why aren't you focusing on the heart? Maybe you and your sweetheart need to have quite a few heart to heart talks about what you value in life. And if what you value is a 20 year old body, be it a male body or a female body, I'm wondering if maybe your priorities <laughs> need to be <laughs> adjusted because you too are likely, it's likely you're not 20 either, right? So again, it's about, to me, it's about fostering love and connection in the relationship. We get hyper-focused on the external, on, on looks and what we have. And I would recommend for couples who are struggling with that, yes, it's lovely to find your partner attractive and sexy and yummy, but I think that happens when we fall in love with their spirit. Right. Well, I, that's really so beautiful to learn to look through the heart at any age and not through our eyes and really see and appreciate what we feel and not what we see. And I also think in your book, you wrote about um, how important it is to have goals together and really, you know, have plans together. I think often when we are going through our lives, taking care of jobs and business and mortgages, and, and then all of a sudden we have no longer these pressures sometimes we don't know what to do with each other and just being really aware of yes we need to redefine how we are moving forward what we are looking forward to what projects Absolutely. we want to share all of those great things but unfortunately time is 
up. I'm, I mean, I wanted to talk about so many other things. So you have to come back. We have to do this again because there are a lot of topics that uh, we definitely want to talk about and hear your wisdom and your teaching from. So thank you so much. I'm just going to quickly say people can find you where? Uh, DrCarlaManley.com. And your book AgingJoyfully.com, for that matter. <laughs> Perfect. And you can find the books everywhere, Amazon and so on, wherever. You Amazon, buy Barnes books. and Noble. If you like shopping local as I do, there's a link on my website to IndieBound. Oh, Type great. in your zip code and you'll find out a store that has it close to you. I highly recommend both books. Highly recommend also just reaching out to Dr. Carla. Wonderful soul, wonderful teacher, wonderful therapist. Thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you for having me. You're so welcome. And uh, well, thank you for tuning in today again. And uh, I hope that this inspires you just to enjoy every day. Don't count the days, but make every day count. You've been listening to Empowerment Radio with Dr. Friedman Schaub. Join Dr. Friedman every first and third Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives. To learn more about how Dr. Friedman's personal breakthrough program can help you overcome fear, anxiety, and low self-esteem, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. 